Welcome to the podcast of Celebration Christian Church located in Punta Cana, Dominican Republic. I am Pastor Jonathan Autry, and we will strive each week to bring you the fundamental principles of what the Bible says on how you can truly live and lead a Christian life. Everyone has their own opinion of how we should live, but the question is, what does the Bible say? It is only through His Word that we can truly find the answers. So open your mind, open your heart, and let God guide you through His Word. In the name of Jesus, let us praise the Lord. Amen. Last week we celebrated communion and we talked about communion and what biblical communion sincerely really is. The week before that we talked about baptism. and We talked about how what that was all about and what the Bible says about that. And for those that are new here, you know, I've always kind of, my whole life I've, I've had a little bit of a, a tussle with Christian churches. And what has been my issue is that when you see the word Christian church, a lot of times, even though it sounds great, for those that are really in-depth in their relationship and those that are really in tune with biblical teaching, Christian church will open up more questions than it does answers because you really don't know what they stand for. And I just want to clear, clarify something this morning. We are a Bible-believing church through and through. It's a Bible-believing church. And these last couple weeks, we've been kind of talking about different things that a lot of churches, denominations, and even religions differ on. But what we're going to do is we're going to go to the Bible and see what the Bible talks about, what it says, and what we teach in our church because of what the Bible says. So for the next couple weeks, we're going to be talking, and I've entitled this Tough Talk. We're going to have a tough talk this morning. For me, it's an easy talk. I'm hoping that someone this morning will be confronted by the Word of God. I'm hoping that someone will be able to look in the mirror of their spiritual relationship and see where maybe they falter, maybe where they have been confused, maybe where they have been taught differently. And hey, if you're clear on what we're talking about this morning, I would advise you as a God-fearing Christian person, disciple of Christ, that you write notes down because what we're going to talk about this morning is the very basis of our faith. And basically, we're going to be talking about salvation this morning. Let me talk about salvation this morning because there's a lot of confusion on this whole salvation thing. From one spectrum to the other, there's confusion all around it. And I just kind of want to try to clarify some things not because Pastor Jonathan knows it all, but because I think the Bible is very clear on what salvation is all about. So we're going to talk from the very beginning. We're going to have this tough talk because I think that maybe this morning there might be people here that have their whole lives maybe even gone to church. They've been under the preaching of several people. My wife can give her testimony this morning how she grew up in a church, a Protestant church, a Presbyterian church, her most of her life. And she never knew what salvation was till she was about 17 years old. Her cousin was in an accident, was in the hospital, and while they were there, one of the nurses, was a nurse, right? Actually shared her testimony, shared the word of God with them, invited them to her church, and for the first time, her whole family heard the grace message of salvation through Jesus Christ. 
after years and years and years of having belonged to a church, they all came to one realization. They had been going to church, walking the walk, even talking the talk, but found out that none of them had ever trusted in Jesus Christ as their personal Savior. So I want to open up with this verse because I was thinking about this this morning. I was like, there's no verse that's more appropriate than Mark chapter 8. Verses 34 to 38, it says, For what shall it profit a man if, she ha- if he would gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? What good does it do for you to be- belong to a good Bible-believing church and leave here with an empty soul, having never trusted in Jesus Christ as your personal Savior? I will prize myself on the fact that we want anyone who stands here to preach the Word of God. We don't need all the fancy stuff. This morning I was talking with someone from church, and and, and we've encountered people that have come to our church and actually have said, uh, yeah, the church is nice and everything, but it's just not charismatic enough for me. You know, they're looking for something else. They're looking for this supernatural feeling, this supernatural voice. Well, you know what? You're not going to get that here. You're going to get the word of God. If you're looking for something supernatural, if you're looking for something overwhelming and stuff, this isn't the place to find it, okay? The only supernatural you're going to find in here is what God can do in your heart. That's not what, it's, that's not what your Christian walk is about. How many of you came into your relationship with your spouse thinking, this is going to be the best thing in the world, and every single morning, I'm just going to wake up to this glowing creature beside me, and all the problems in my whole life are just going to go away. And I'm just going to feel like I'm on cloud night every single day. I'll never have to worry about another bill. I'll never have to worry about what I'm going to eat. Just everything's going to be perfect. I like that word, hunky-dory. Well, some of you went into a marriage like that. And after about week six, you found out, hmm, maybe I should have thought this through a little bit better. Tough talk. Let's talk about salvation this morning. First question I want to ask you, do you know that you know? Are you 100% sure that if today was your last day on this earth and God called you home, Are you sure that you are sure? Do you know without a doubt that your soul is saved and that you're going to heaven? Ask yourself that question this morning because all the pride that you might have over yourself and your salvation and your experience will hinge on this question. Don't let let your pride get in in the way of your salvation. Don't let your pride... Get in the way of your salvation. Do you know how many people have sat there and have heard a great gospel message and they knew they needed to make a decision, but because of their pride, they didn't make that decision. They didn't take that step of faith. Do you know that you know? You know what? I've asked probably in my lifetime thousands of people this question. Do you know? Are you 100% sure? And did you know that two out of three people come back with a question, and it's the same question. Do you know what that question is? How could anyone know? How could anyone know? How could anyone know? That's impossible to know. How could anyone know for sure that I know 100% sure? I'm 100% sure. 
I'm going to heaven. Oh, well, that's easy for you to say. You're a pastor. You probably live some holy life or something. No, I'm not. Ask my wife. I don't live some super supernatural holy life. I want to. That's the goal. That's what I'm shooting towards. But I, I'm a person just like you. I, I wrestle with the same thing as you guys. There's nothing different about me and you. We are all the same. I am flesh and bones just like you. The Apostle Paul, he talks about it many times. We all go through the same struggles. Yet, I am 100% sure that my heart, my, my soul rests in my Savior. And in the next couple of weeks, I'll show you how you too, because of what the Word of God says, can have that security. Salvation is something we often talk about, but are, are you absolutely clear on your salvation? I was having another talk with a young person the other day, and um, recently this person, they had made another profession of faith. They, they, they gave their life. They, they accepted Christ again. And when I was, when I was talking to this young person, I said, well, what was different from now than when you made that decision the first time? Well, I understand it better now. I need to tell you something this morning. If you made that decision and you meant it with all your heart and you put your faith in Jesus Christ, you need to understand that there's going to be times in your life where you hear preaching, where you read the word of God, where you listen to something, and you're going to have more and more clarity on what that decision was all about. No one comes into this walk with Jesus Christ knowing everything right off the bat. That's why church exists. That's why God wants us to come together. That's why in Hebrews it says, not forsaking the assembly of one another. Because we're supposed to come together as a, as a group, as a family, and learn more and more about our walk with Christ. That's what it's all about. Do you know that you know? Do you know without any doubt that you have made the most important decision of your life. It would be such a loss if we taught all of the Bible and you learned so much about it, but you never understood the simple truth of salvation. If that statement was true for our church, then I have failed terribly. The only purpose that we have as a church, other than to grow together, is that we're supposed to be sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ and salvation. So this morning, the first thing I want to address as we go into this series on salvation is, why do I need to be saved? Why do you need salvation? Uh, one of my favorite movies I used to watch a lot was The Pursuit of Happiness. Good movie. Yeah, it's a good movie. And yeah, there's, there's a scene halfway through the movie where Will Smith is with his son and... Um, they're, he's telling his dad a joke. And the joke is that this, this man had somehow, he was shipwrecked. He was out in the middle of the ocean, and he had a life preserver and everything. And this first boat comes by, and he said, hey, you need some help. We're going to help you. And, and the guy goes, no, 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 I'm good, I'm good, don't worry. God will save me. He leaves, and then a second boat comes by, and the same thing happens. They say, hey, we're going to help you. Come on. We'll, we, we can get you in the boat. There's space. No, 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 no. I'm good. I don't, I don't, need, I don't need help. God's going to help me. Then the third boat goes by, and the same thing happens. Ultimately, the guy dies. He gets to heaven. He says, God, what happened? I was in the water. I needed help. You never came to save me. He said, I sent three boats. 
And I think that this is something that we need to understand when we talk about salvation. There's so many misconceptions out there from being a good person to gain my salvation to just fulfilling all of the requirements. Well, I go to church. I don't hurt anybody. I give to charity. I do this. I do that. There's all these misconceptions about what salvation is made of. So I need to explain to you this morning why you need salvation. We're going to look at a couple things, but Romans 3.10, very good verse says, As it is written, there is none righteous. No, not one. Why do you need salvation? Because you're not righteous. You're not perfect. And again, I put myself in the boat. I'm not perfect either. I'm not perfect either. None of us are perfect. None of us were born, born perfect. The only person that ever came to this world and lived a perfect life was Jesus Christ. There is none righteous. The Bible says there is none righteous. Then it just kind of reiterates it again. It says, no, not even one. No one here is without fault. We have all sinned. Romans 3.23, another great verse that talks about this. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. What's the glory of God? What is that, uh, that, that perfect that goal for humanity? It's holiness, separation from this world. It's a sinless life. Well, all of us have sinned. And because we've sinned, we've come short of that glory of God. We have been separated from God because of our sin. So again, we're talking about why do I now need salvation? Because you have been separated from God because of your sin. See, God's intention from the beginning is that we would all live together. One, one great life. Adam and Eve, everything was perfect. The garden was perfect. They had everything they needed. Nothing, nothing was faulting for them. It was just a great, perfect scenario. That's what God intended for humanity. But sin separated us from that desire that he had. Let's go into 1 John chapter 1. In 1 John chapter 1, it kind of explains what these last two verses say. It explains why God has been separated from us or why we're separated from God. Why sin has torn us apart from God. 1 John chapter 1 verses 5 through 7. This is the message which we have heard from him and declare to you. God is light and in him is no darkness at all. So here we get the understanding of why God and us, why there can't be a relationship between us and him. Because he is light and there cannot be any darkness in him. Verse 6 says, If we say that we have fellowship with him, yet we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. This is where I believe a lot of Christianity lays today. They think they have fellowship with him. They say they have fellowship with him. They say that they're Christians. They go to church. They do. They walk the walk. They talk the talk. Everything seems on the outside good. But they've never accepted him as their personal savior. 
It's all exterior actions. It's all on the outside. They've never accepted him. They've never take that, taken that step of faith. Then it says, we lie and do not practice the truth. What it's saying is, you lie and you're not practicing what you're saying. On the outside, it looks all great. My dad, in his testimony, he talks about how uh, he went into the military. My dad grew up in an abusive home. He started taking, uh, he started smoking and drinking at the age of 11. He got into the military because he really didn't have any options. 18, rolled up, went into a, a recruiter's office, and he asked the recruiter, he said, if I join the United States military, will I be free? Will I be a free man? Because he lived under what he considered this slavery in his home. And the recruiter said, of course you will. You'll be as free as you need to be. And my dad quickly found out that wasn't true. There were a lot of rules in the military. <laughs> and my dad went through, don't laugh, okay? He went through basic training. Those of you that are in the military, you know what that means. He was Air Force. <laughs> he went through basic training. They don't go through boot camp. They go through basic training, all right? He went through basic training. And my dad always says, when I got out of basic training, my life took a 180. I looked so good on the outside. I knew how to make my bed, and I could flip a coin off it, and it would bounce. I knew how to iron my clothes, organize my clothes. I was all cleaned up on the outside, but no one cared for my soul. That's where a lot of Christians kind of miss the boat in that they're so concerned with cleaning up the outside and working on the outside looking as good as they can on the outside, that they don't understand that Christianity is about something so much more than that. Verse 7 says, But if we walk in the light, as He is in the light, we have fellowship one with another. When it says one with another, it's talking about you and Christ. And the blood of Jesus Christ, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. See, that's the liberating great truth about your salvation in Jesus Christ. Because all I've talked about in the last couple of minutes is how we're separated from God. Our sin has taken us from Him. You know, we don't have any hope because, uh, because of our sin. But verse 7 says, if you accept Jesus Christ, that He cleanses you from all sin. And then can you have fellowship with Him? Separation is created through our sin. Genesis 1 and 2 explains the perfection of creation and mankind. If you never read it, read it. Genesis 1 and 2, you see this seven days of creation, six days where God created this world. He rested on the seventh. And what you see on many occasions, after he finishes making something, there's a comment that he says through Genesis 1 and 2 many times. Does anyone know what that comment was? And he saw that it was good. And he saw that it was good. Now, you got to appreciate what he's saying there. Okay? Because I like to cook. I love to cook. Okay? But it takes quite a bit to impress me. It takes a quite bit to impress me. Like for me to say, wow, that was amazing. Now, good is a great thing. When the God of the creation says, it is good. Some of us think, well, it must have not been that amazing if it was just good. But you're talking about God. Hey, good for God is amazing. 
doesn't have to be awesome. It doesn't have to be anything like that because if it's good for God, it's going to be so much more than we could ever expect. And throughout Genesis 1 and 2, you see God creating and doing all these things. He says, and God saw that it was good. And God saw that it was good. Probably one of the most amazing videos I've ever seen on creation. I wish I would have bought the set, but it was so expensive. Um, we went this summer, our family, to the Ark Experience, and we went to the Science and Creation Museum. And in one of them, which I can't remember which one, but in one of them they had this movie. You sat down, and they had this movie on creation. And it was just such an amazing, the graphics were so amazing, where when they say that, and God said, let there be light. And it wasn't just like how simple we think of just turning on a light. It was just, it went into detail on what that meant and what happened at that moment. And when God said, let the waters be separated by land, and you saw our planet and how land came out and was formed, it was just so impressive. And you say, wow. You know, we take for granted. We look out on this beauty out here. You know me, I, I look at beaches and stuff. People put up pictures of beaches, and I kind of think in my head, I was like, that's not a beach. You don't know what a beach is. Like, my family. I met somebody from New Jersey this morning. Please, don't be offended or anything. But when I go out to visit her family in Pennsylvania, it's summertime, and they're like, Jonathan, we're going to take you to the shore. And they're so excited. I'm like, this is going to blow my pants off. This is going to be amazing. Everyone's like just so excited. We're going to go to the shore. We're going to go to the shore. The only exciting thing about the shore were the hot dogs. That's it. The hot dogs were good. The corn dogs were amazing. But other than that, there was absolutely nothing impressive about the shore. You know why? Because I've been to Bahia Esmeralda. And when you see Bahia Esmeralda and you go to the shore... I didn't even get in the water. I'm like, this is nasty. <laughs> it's terrible. It's like, do people actually get in that water? <laughs> this looks bad. But you know, to God, it was good. And when we see stuff, sometimes we lose appreciation for what it's really worth until we can compare it to something worse. Number two, where did sin come from? Because we talk about sin, we talk about how it's, it's separated us from God. But where did sin come from? Let's go to Genesis chapter 3 because Genesis 1 and 2, like I said, if you want to read it, it talks about creation. It talks about what everything that God did to prepare the world for us, for humanity. Then you get to Genesis chapter 3, verses 1 through 7. I'm going to read these verses. We're going to go through these verses one by one, and we're going to finish up this message this morning. It says, Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Has God said you should not eat of any tree of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of all the fruit from the trees of the garden, but from the fruit of the tree, which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, You will not eat of it, nor will you touch it, or else you will die. Then the serpent said to the woman, you surely will not die, for God knows that on the day that you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasing to the eyes, 
and a tree desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she gave to her husband, uh, her husband with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew they were naked. So they sewed fig, tree, fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. So we get this text in Genesis chapter 3, verses 1 through 7. We've all heard it, and we've heard all the jokes, okay? Ladies, don't worry. I'm not going to bring any of them up, all right? But here in Genesis chapter 3, we see some very, very important things for us today. I want to give you three or four points, very important points about this text this morning. I want you to write them down and listen to them this morning. Verse number one, let's repeat it. It says, now the serpent was more subtle than any other beast of the field, which the Lord had made. To me, that's one thing I love about the Dominican Republic. We just have those little garden snakes. They're super thin, super small. I cannot, I am so terrified by snakes, by tarantulas, and by cucarachas. I don't say cockroaches because cucarachas and cockroaches to me are not the same thing. Because a cucaracha is the size of a minibus. And the, the cockroaches are just these little tiny things. I'm not afraid of the little roaches that we have in the States. But those cucarachas here, those things, once those, once those wings start going... I'm just screaming and yelling and running as fast as I can. Janine, help me. Kill it, kill it. If I had a snake in my house, let's just burn the house down. Let the insurance company take care of it. We'll move, all right? And this serpent was this subtle beast, wise. And he comes up in verse 1, and he says, And he said to the woman, Has God said, You shall not eat? Of any tree of the garden? Didn't God tell you you could eat of any tree you wanted to? Didn't he say that this garden belonged to you and you could do whatever you wanted and it was all yours? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit from the trees of the garden, but from the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, you will not eat of it, nor will you touch it, or else you will die. I love this text because somebody used this text once. I read it in a book. And it helped me with my, it helped me with my offerings and my tithes. Stay with me. Because I don't talk a lot about finances. I try not to. It helped me because in the book, the author was saying, from the beginning, from the beginning, God has always had something that belonged to him. It's not that God needs it. It's the fact that it's only, it's just about your obedience. The respect and honor that you hold towards what belongs to God. And he uses a story of Adam and Eve in the garden and says, look, they, they had this huge garden. They could have anything they wanted. But as human beings, what do we often what, want? That which we can't have. That's what makes it, that's what makes it appealing to us. That's why I want a Range Rover. Because I can't have it can't afford it. <laughs> so here she says, yeah, God said we could have everything, anything we want. And just to, to, to eliminate any confusion, it wasn't just one tree. There were two trees. There were two trees. Read your Bible. There were two, actually, that they couldn't touch of all the trees. They were very clear on what was commanded of them. That's what I need you to see this morning. When you read verse 1, and two and three, what you understand and see is there was no, 
they were fully conscious and clear on what God expected of them. She laid it out without even the serpent having to tell her. Didn't he say you can have, no, 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 that's not what he said. You're missing some details, serpent, whatever your name is. He said we could have of any of the fruit that we want except for the ones that are in the middle, in the midst of the garden. We can't touch those. They were very clear on what God expected of them. But you know what this world's going to do? Listen, guys, because this is important. We have to understand this. If you're a Christian this morning, you need to understand this because when we share our faith with other people, we have to know how to explain this to them. The world will always make you question God. The world will make you question God. Because if you can make someone question something, the moment they question something, you have been able to put doubt in their mind. And that is a very dangerous thing, even for us as Christians, when we start questioning things. You have to understand something. Whether you like to accept this fact or not, our God is a sovereign God. If you don't know what that means, I don't have time to explain it this morning. Go home, Google it. Google what that means. Try to get a grasp and understanding what that means when we say that God is a sovereign God. Just to throw it out there real quick, it means he is an unquestionable God. It means we have no right to question how he does things or why he does things. The moment we question what he does, we're doing exactly what the enemy wants us to do. He wants us to question God. That's why in these verses you see that he's, he plants this seed and he does it. Did you catch how they, they, they described the serpent? They said that he was a, what kind of creature? Subtle. I love the, the translation, subtle. What does subtle mean? He didn't come out with this big old neon light. Warning, warning, warning. He's like, wait a minute, wait a minute. I thought God told you that you could eat of any of the trees. Isn't that what he said? The serpent knew fully and well that that's not what God said. But he is conniving and subtle. So he starts with this seed of doubt. The world will make you question God. God's sovereignty is what allows us to see absolute truths and absolute falsehoods. If it wasn't for God, and what his image of perfection is, what his image of holiness is, and what his picture of sin is, by what markers would humanity, by what markers would we develop absolute truths and absolute falsehoods? Welcome to our world today. Welcome to our 72 gender world today. You want to know what happens when you get away from the word of God and the absolute truths that he has established for mankind? The absolute falsehoods that he has been very clear on? You get a world where everything is subjective to what everyone thinks. You get the world that we're living in today where no one has the right to question how you think or what you are. And in all honesty, I'm sorry, if you stand on the other side of this and you want to have a conversation with me, I'll talk with you all day about it. I identify, I identify as a millionaire. I do. I identify as a millionaire. I mean, if it was for me, you know, I'd have only the nicest clothes. 
yeah, I'm vain like that. I'll just be honest and transparent. I've got my own demons that I have to fight on a daily basis. You're not that way? Well, fine. I'm sure that there's something you struggle with too. We don't have to talk about it this morning, but I'm just going to be transparent with you. I identify as a millionaire. If I was a millionaire, I'd have a nice car. Not that I don't. God, thank you. I have a beautiful truck. I appreciate it. Not complaining this morning. But if I was a millionaire, I'd have a nicer truck. Some of you identify as 30 when you know you're well over 60. Miss Seely. <laughs> you see what I'm coming at here? Where do we draw the lines? Where do we say this is acceptable and this is ridiculous? Because every time we say, okay, fine, that's acceptable. You know what's going to happen? It's just going to go further away. Well, since that's acceptable, we need to start considering this and this and this. And you know what the sad thing about it is? The world's way over here. And every time that world takes a step over here, here's Christianity right here. And we're just one step behind them. Well, we might be different. We're, 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 not, we're not them, but we're right there behind them. And every time they accept something more and it becomes just, you know, more acceptable, we have to become more acceptable also. But again, we got to understand that we serve a sovereign God that was very clear on what he accepted and what he expected for mankind. And we cannot follow what this world's agenda would be. Without his sovereignty, nothing would be an absolute truth or sin. The second thing I want to share, and I've already ran out of time, but we're going to get through these, these three, four ideas quickly, okay? The world will make you doubt God. I already said that. In verse 4, the, then the serpent said to the woman, surely will not die. God's telling you this, but that's not, so, that's not what's going to happen. It's okay, for real. Let me explain why that's not going to happen. See, he's going to put doubt in your mind. He will make you doubt God and believe him, believe the world. Number four, the world will have you think that you are enough. Oh, my goodness, that's the world we live in today. Our kids are being told that they're just, the most amazing, smartest, gifted kids. You know, it's like, I see it all the time. You know, my kids, and again, I don't know, maybe I'm just old school in the way I think, but I don't think that every single kid that was on the soccer field deserves a medal. I just don't feel that way. I don't want my son, I'm going to say my son because he's not here this morning, he's upstairs. I don't want him exposed to that. You know why? Because I want him to learn that good things come to those who work hard. You want that medal next year, you work harder. So you can deserve that medal. All this participation trophy and stuff, I get it for kindergartners. Oh, you can read. We're all going to get a certificate and stuff. But a time comes where we've got to start teaching people, oh, that's not, that's not the way it is. Good things come to those who work hard. You... You can be enough, but you're not just simply born enough. You've got to work for those things. We were, we were talking to somebody last night, and she was talking about her experience in Saudi Arabia and how even the poorest of poor every morning wake up, and they have every month a paycheck just because, you know, they have oil, and, you know, everybody gets subsidized in that and stuff. You know, there was a time in my life where I wasn't doing too well. I said, maybe I should move to Alaska because for those of you who don't know, Alaska, residents of Alaska, they get a paycheck every year just because they live in Alaska. 
you don't just get stuff just because. You aren't just enough just because. These are things that you have to develop and work for. Number five, verse five says, For God knows that on the day you eat it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So now he starts to plant the benefits. The benefits. And that's where we see our world also today. They justify the sin. Not only do they justify the sin, but they glorify the sin. And it makes me sick to my stomach. Because it was already enough to justify the sin, but now we glorify the sin. Let's take it a step further. Let's actually curse those who don't accept the sin. Have any of you in the last couple of years felt almost attacked because you stand on a side of something that you know is what God intends for us? And now, for some reason, I'm starting to feel like I'm the victim because I'm just trying to hold true to what His Word teaches us. And the world is making me feel like I'm the enemy and I'm doing something wrong. And it's all because we live in this sinful world that's going to continue to do what the serpent did from day one. There's no difference in it. It's going to continue to get worse and worse. And I'm telling you this morning, if you're a Christian, open your eyes and look at what's going on around us. And like the Bible tells us so many times, be bold in your faith. I'm not telling you to go out in the streets and be ignorant and start putting these signs up and doing all this stuff. And if that's your cup of, key, cup of tea, go for it. Don't call me. I'm not going, all right? But we have to decide where we're going to take a stand. We're growing. And I know we say this and stuff. I'm not trying to be cliche this morning, but it's the honest truth. I, I fear for our children because they're growing up in this world. They're facing things that, honestly, I know I had to face things that my parents didn't have to face. But they're facing things that I never had to face. I never had to, as a fifth grader, had to worry about what I said because someone in my classroom identified as something other than what they were born as. I don't think that that was even something that was said when I was a kid that age. You know, the honest truth about it is people that identified that way back then had something going up here, and it was called dysphoria. It was basically explained as confusion, something that they had to be worked on. She took of its fruit and ate. The humanistic belief that we can subjectively see and decide what is wrong and right by ourselves. That is what happened. The enemy installed in her mind the idea that not everything that God told her was an absolute truth. That she too could make her own decisions and be like God. That it was okay to know between good and bad. That God was just keeping her from a better, from a better life. She gave to her husband and he ate. That's the final thing this morning. I don't have it on the board, I mean on the screen. But when you accept these things and you accept the doubt 
and you accept that humanistic view that we can subjectively make those decisions and we do not have to follow God's plan, but we can make those decisions for ourselves, we ultimately start sharing that with others. I, I, I don't know why. I'm going to finish with that this morning. We'll continue next week. I don't know why, but I read this like four or five times, and it was one of those times where I kind of wrestled and prayed. And I said, God, what do you, what, why? What happened here? What am I missing? Because that's what I like about when I read the Word of God. I, I want to see everything for what it's worth. And I believe that everything has deep meaning, right? Every single word. Well, when you read this part of Scripture, I challenge you to go home and read it this, this week. Genesis 3, 1 through 7. You'll find that something very odd happens in this scripture. You see that she took of the fruit, right? And then you see that she then gave to her husband, right? Does anyone remember what the Bible says after he ate happened? Say it please loudly. Their eyes were open. Why weren't her eyes open when she ate the fruit? It says that she ate then she gave to her husband. He ate. Then their eyes were opened. How come it wasn't that she ate, her eyes were opened, and then he ate, and his eyes were opened too? What I want you to understand this morning is we are all in need of salvation. If you have never put your trust in Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, my last verse that I want to share with you this morning, I'm not going to put it on the screen, is John 3.16. For God so loved the world, that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believed in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. See, we read this and we say, well, if, if, if we're condemned and if we're separated and our sin has, well, God had a plan even after that. And that plan was a costly plan. It came at the price of sending his only son to us to die on the cross of Calvary so that he could reestablish that relationship that sin took away from us never accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, today is the day that you can accept.